0: know we're on a journey all the way through to Palm Sunday. Uh, Interestingly, today we're going to look at Palm Sunday, before Palm Sunday, but you'll understand as we go through this what this journey uh, is all about. So we want to look at Luke chapter 19 and want to begin in verse 28, Luke chapter 19, and we'll begin in verse 28 in just a moment. Among my favorite memories here in my 30 years at Concord Baptist Church have been the trips that I've been able to take with the senior adults uh, in our congregation over the years. And I was thinking recently, uh, some of you have reached that stage of retirement. And remember the trips maybe your parents made, and you're about to hit the age where you can do that. And, and I'm hitting that age with you. But I love trips with senior adults. They're all the perks uh, with hardly any of the hassle. For instance, our senior adults go to bed at a decent hour. And once they go to bed, they don't make noise unless it might be a random snore here or there. Uh, They're very easy. They're on time uh, rather than being late, Um, and they don't throw Skittles. Uh, Some of you know where I'm going with that, Uh, and one of the rewarding things of being here this long is to see some of those teenagers who used to throw Skittles at me when I was asleep or half asleep now to see their parents, and they have to deal with teenagers. But one of the most memorable senior adult trips that we took was to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, as part of the Senior Citizens Celebration, uh, sponsored by Phil Waldrop's ministry. And on this particular time, we went a handful of times, the former First Lady Barbara Bush was the guest speaker. And so it was going to be an evening session one night, and I do not lie, Three hours before the doors were opened, and the doors opened an hour before the event, senior adults were staked outside. I thought it was like Woodstock or something. Uh, I mean, they were camped out for hours, leaning on each other, leaning on other. Canes, leaning on buildings. Uh, they were sitting in the parking lot mid to late afternoon eating from their laps. Some of them had five-gallon buckets that were empty. They flipped over and they sat. Uh, Mike and David's mom, uh, she we had a step that we used to get in and out of the van. We had her in that she was seated in the middle of a parking lot in a brisk fall afternoon waiting two hours for the doors to open. And then it got even more difficult, more worse, because the doors opened. And you know where I'm going with that. Once the doors opened, it was a free-for-all to two places. First, the bathroom. Because senior adults, there's a reason senior adults aren't groupies and can't hang out for hours or days. Their bladder really can't deal with that. But then the second area they went was seats. They were trying to find seats and you know where I'm going with this also. They took every outer garment they could and threw them on the seats around them to protect seats for those who were coming in. It was a memorable time. Barbara Bush didn't disappoint. As I was thinking about that event in my life a number of years back, I couldn't help but think at least in a small way It gives me an idea of what it was like here in Luke chapter 19 and verse 28 at Jesus' triumphal entry. People had waited and waited and waited for hundreds of years for the arrival of the Messiah. In the picture I have in my mind, people just in any amazing procession on each side of the road as the Holy One, the Lord Jesus Christ, made his way into the holy city. Read with me, or follow with me, as I read Luke 19, verse 28 and following. It says, when he had said these things, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the young donkey, its owner said to them, why are you untying the donkey? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus, and after their throwing their clothes on the donkey. They helped Jesus get on it. As he was going on, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. But some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. Let's pray. Father, as we continue our path toward Calvary, as we search your scriptures in these coming weeks, I pray in this hour you would speak to us the truth about your son, Jesus Christ, that he is worthy of worship. And as again, we'll see today that this movement toward Jerusalem had a very clear intent that Jesus was not swayed one way or the other by public opinion, but that, Lord, he lived to fulfill your will. Lord, we know that he said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. And so, Lord, open our eyes to your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the event that uh, we just read is known as Jesus' triumphal entry. It was the Sunday before crucifixion Friday, and the crowds here were excited. Uh, You know, joy filled the air as uh, the Messiah was coming in. But the problem is, as we're going to see as we go through this journey in the next few weeks, that people did not really grasp who Jesus was or why he came. In fact, they really did not grasp why Jesus was coming. But Jesus all along knew. In fact, from the very beginning of his ministry, he understood that everything was leading toward this trip and what would happen shortly after what we just read. We're studying Jesus' path to Calvary. We began it last week. And this path we see this week leads into the holy city His public ministry, which lasted for about three years, was coming to a close. But it, we think, well, the, the ministry is coming to a close. There must not be really that much left, but that's not true. In fact, uh, from uh, this event that we read here in the Sunday before his crucifixion to his crucifixion, about five days, of parts of five chapters include material that transpired. But today, as we look at his triumphal entry, I want to really note three things with you this morning. First, we're going to see his preparation for his entry, then we're going to see the entry itself, and finally, the response of the people to his entry, and in turn, how he responded. But first, let's look at the preparation for Jesus' entry, and we see that in, um, really, verses 28 through 34. And as we're going through this study, we remember there are lots of things that are happening around Jesus. And it's interesting to see the number of times that Jesus has stopped and will stop in order to talk with individuals. But he always had his eyes set on Calvary. You see, Calvary was not plan B for him It was plan A. It was not an afterthought. It was the intent of God the Father and God the Son that Jesus go to Calvary. And as we noted a few weeks ago in Hebrews 13, that he would die outside of the city, disrespected by man, but approved by God for our sin. And so what we see in verses 28 through 34 this morning is that Jesus is making preparation for his entry into the city. He did not just show up. He didn't scramble. He had clear, concise, and direct instructions for two of his disciples. So what we see here, with all of the noise that's getting ready to go on around him, Jesus had a clear plan, and he would not be set off of that command. You know, God is a God of order. We know our God to be a God of order. He ordered creation, and it's amazing how structured our creation is. He orders every day. There's a consistency in it. When we awakened this morning, we counted on the fact that the earth was continuing to rotate and that we would see the sun this morning. He ordered his church in the New Testament. He gave structure. It's not to be a haphazard entity, but God gave structure to it. God is Ordering how this world as we know it will come to end and then how the new heaven and the new earth, they too will be ordered. So it should not surprise us that as Jesus was going into the holy city, he would do so in an orderly way. And it says that upon entering the place, we see in verses 30 and 31, Jesus says to the two disciples, Go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, find a young donkey tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks, what are you doing? Say, the Lord needs it. And then we read in verses 32 through 34 that they do just as he says. It's very interesting to note that this command that was given by Jesus was given during the week leading up to the Passover feast. In this context of the Passover feast, is very important because the Passover meant preparation. Every individual family would have to make great preparation. They would have to prepare the bitter herbs that would be observed as part of the Passover feast. They would have to prepare the lamb that would be sacrificed. They would have to prepare the unleavened bread. They would have to clear out leaven from their home. Uh, They would have to make plans to make the journey toward the holy city. In fact, uh, the Passover feast meant order. It meant preparation. And so every part of the Passover feast, there was order, there was intent, except for one, and that was the lamb. The lamb was really an unwilling participant. The family knew what it was to do. The family was organized and intentional in what it was doing, but the lamb itself did not understand what was going to happen. We contrast that with Jesus. Jesus knew what he was doing. Remember very early in his ministry, what did John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But the Lamb, our Lamb of God, the perfect Lamb, he went not as an unwilling participant, but as a willing participant. As we look at this path of Jesus toward Calvary, we're reminded of Jesus' words in John chapter 10, verses 17 and 18. He says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down on my own. Jesus' eyes were toward Calvary. He willingly gave his life for us. But I want you to see a second truth in our text and we see that in verses 35 through 37 and that's the details of Jesus' entry. The the preparation was made, but really how did he enter? the holy city. There are two things of note that we want to look at. The first is his entry was a humble entry. Verse 35 tells us that he rode, it said that he rode into the holy city on a donkey. Now a donkey is a beast of burden but it also in regard to the Messiah entering the holy city was a fulfillment of prophecy. In Zechariah 9 in verse 9, Some 500 years before Jesus was on this earth, the prophet Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Again, we're looking at the order. It's so ordered and so structured and so specific that even the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, some 500 years before, knew it would happen. And he knew that this entry would be on a donkey. Again, the donkey was a beast of burden. Jesus was coming. That donkey was symbolic of the burden that he would take upon himself of the sins of the people. But also the donkey contrasts a horse. A horse is a symbol of battle. The donkey, a symbol of peace. As the perfect Lamb of God coming into the holy city on a donkey, Jesus came to bring peace. In a peace, not just a subjective peace, not just a feeling of peace, but an objective peace, a specific payment to make us in right standing with God. I wonder today, have you experienced the peace of God in your life? Have you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? He is our peace. We we just got through the Christmas season. He's the Prince of Peace. Uh, There's no peace, really, subjectively or objectively apart from Christ. He came in order to bring peace. But not only was his entry a humble entry, it was an entry with providential significance. I shared a few years ago, a few uh, months ago, I guess, that one place I would love to see in the world, which, don't get me wrong, I wanna go to Italy. I'm excited. I'm speaking from biblical, I'm just talking about biblical things. Um, the Mount of Olives. And I'm sure the Mount of Olives is not the most beautiful place in the world, there are a lot more beautiful places. But I love the Mount of Olives because of its scriptural significance. We forget the Mount of Olives is a central figure in Jesus' first coming and his second coming. I can't think of many places other than the holy city itself that's that relevant. Yet it's interesting the path into the city in Jesus' first coming and second coming is through the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is east of the holy city. So here in the first coming, the scripture tells us that he had to go down the mount. That tells us that he went up the mount and down the mount as he made his way into the city. The scripture also tells us here in his first coming that he was on a donkey. Also it tells us there was great preparation, not only among the throngs of people who were waiting for him... But there was great preparation of these two disciples for his entry. There were people who were scouting the area, who were uh, running ahead of him preparing that. And also we see here that he came meekly and humbly as a lamb led to to the slaughter to be our sacrifice and our sacrificer. Contrast that with what the books of Zechariah chapter 14 and Revelation tell us about Jesus' second coming. His second coming also will be centered through the Mount of Olives. However, this time the Mount of Olives will not require a going up and a coming down a servant, they will be parted north and south, allowing passageway from the east as our Savior comes to his holy city. He'll be on a horse. He'll come suddenly and unexpectedly, and there will be a loud and triumphant announcement coming not from the crowds around, but from himself. It's interesting, the contrast and all of this happens around this geographical area of the world. Jesus came first as a humble servant on a donkey up the hill and down the hill in a difficult path toward Golgotha. Jesus will come again triumphantly to rule over all mankind as king of kings. So we see the, the preparation that's made by Jesus toward the two disciples. We see his entry. It's a humble entry, but it's an entry of, of providential significance. But the point I really want to focus on this morning is the mixed response to this entry. We see it in verses 37 through 40. As Jesus was making his way into the holy city, as I said, there are throngs of people. And I said that the picture in the opening illustration I had—it's just a small picture of it. It is just a small picture of it because there would prob- there were probably literally hundreds of thousands of people there, and as opposed to maybe uh, a thousand people. And and while there were just senior adults when I was there in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, there were uh, people of all ages that were gathered around. Uh, in the holy city as he was coming in rather than placing their coats to try to save seats for someone else they were placing the coats for the lord jesus himself as they placed before him as he came in and they were shouting blessed is the king who comes in the name of the lord the masses were worshiping him however we see in verse 39 there was a religious contingent that was unhappy They were unhappy with what was going on. They were the Pharisees, and they were basically telling Jesus to say this, tell your people to stop. And Jesus responded in one of the most poignant and beautiful pictures. He said, if they were not to shout, the rocks would cry out. I think the Pharisees give us a picture here of what we're going to see in the weeks ahead. It was not always going to be loud crowds and great praises, but there were actually going to be individuals who would be against him, who would oppose him, who would frustrate him. So in this week, there were going to be ups and downs. You know, when Karen and I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, we experienced something that we don't experience here. I know Brian will know where I'm going with this Uh, because he lived in fort worth a while i used to think well texas is only hot well maybe deep down in the south but dallas and fort worth could get really cold really quickly they had this uh, phenomenon in nature it was called a blue norther in a blue norther, was this. Basically, the temperature could change about 20 to 30 degrees in a matter of a few minutes, and what would happen? Fronts would come through the plain states. There would be no hills, no mountains, no large forests to prevent it, and the, and the, and the temperature would change like that. I can remember one time Uh, When I went in a grocery store in Fort Worth, Texas, and this is the truth, I went in the grocery store, I came out 45 minutes to an hour later, it had dropped 40 degrees. It doesn't happen around here, but it happened in that part of the country. Jesus here was getting ready to hit a spiritual blue norther. Things were going to go from being really good in the midst of all of the crowds to being challenged, to being rejected. This one who is on Sunday being worshipped by everyone, as it got closer to Calvary, it was more and more alone. It was more and more a lonely experience. Even his own disciples, save really John, they didn't follow him all the way to the cross. His popularity would drop it would drop very quickly I was talking with my college roommate Andy Gray he didn't know I was preaching this but we were just talking about matters and he has such a good sense of humor I love his little thoughts but we were just talking about how uh, public opinion can sway so quickly and he said well I had a mentor one time he told me he said you know everybody wants to jump on the wagon when it's going downhill but when it's going uphill everybody abandons it and isn't that true as Jesus would get closer and closer to Calvary, there were fewer and fewer people around him. But you know what? That didn't matter to him. That did not matter. Because he didn't come to do the people's will. He came to do the Father's will. And when we get that right in our own lives, we begin to live powerful spirit empowered lives when we begin to understand God you've not sent me here to to gain the favor of people but to please you now now a lot of people will take that and say go on and preach it and they'll go out and immediately try to just say something to provoke somebody to anger that's not scriptural all right that's not what I'm saying There are a lot of people that are going around trying to issue shock treatments to people and then say, well, I'm serving the Lord. That's not what I'm saying here. What I'm saying here is Jesus was serving the Lord and everything that happened around him would fall as it may. You know, wouldn't it be great if we lived our lives that way? That we lived our lives solely to please the Lord. This past week, I was reading the late Chuck Colson's book, The Body. And he talks about the church and various aspects of the church. And in this particular chapter, he was trying to emphasize that what matters most in the church is not what people think, but what God thinks. And he shared a poignant illustration. There was a church in a small town that had a youth group. And the youth minister decided that the church youth group would split up into small groups. The large group would split up into small groups of three or four, and they would carry out acts of Christ-like service in the community. And after doing so, they would come back and report what God had done. So this youth group at what he called Shively Christian Church began to split and go different ways. One group did a couple of hours of yard work for an elderly person. Another group uh, raised some money among themselves and bought ice cream and took it to people who were shut in. But he mentioned a third group. They could not think of what to do. They were the youth at Shively Christian Church. So guess what they did? They said, well, let's go to the Baptist pastor and see if they have anyone. And the pastor of Shively Baptist Church said, well, we do have this widow, and she probably would appreciate your ministry. And so the youth group left the pastor of Shively Baptist Church, went to that individual's home, and began to serve her. After about two hours of work, the elderly lady, who was somewhat mixed up, showed gratitude toward the group, and she says, I really love the work that y'all are doing. Y'all are a great youth group at Shively Baptist Church. That youth group went back to its church, Shively Christian, and shared its story. And they shared how the lady was mixed up and thought that they were from the Baptist Church, and they were not. In fact, the youth minister said, why didn't you tell them you were from Shively Christian Church? And as happens often, The youth pastor himself learned a lesson when the youth said, you know, it really didn't matter what she thought about it. We weren't doing it to please her, but to serve God. How could Jesus continue with everything that was going around him, the highs and the lows in this text, those for him and those against him, because he was living to please the Father? What about you? Do you take time to evaluate, why am I doing what I'm doing? Do you have the same resolve as the Lord Jesus Christ? I'm going to do, God, what you've called me to do. Whatever happens will happen, but Lord, I want to live for you. For Jesus, we're going to see it's getting ready to be a roller coaster week. But he kept his eyes on the call of the Father upon his life. I wonder today, have you trusted him? Have you trusted him? He's worthy of your trust. He's a God of order. He intentionally went to Calvary to pay a price for you. I was thinking this week, how could we reject such a great love? How could we go on and live our lives to the neglect? You know, I'm glad, and I guess you are too, that we don't serve Peter. We serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Because some three or four days after this, Peter said the words, I'll never deny you, not ever. And it didn't even take 12 hours for him to blow it, for him to blow it. In fact, not only that, it, it took probably a middle school age girl to challenge him for him to just cave in and do the bad that he said he would never do. I'm thankful Jesus wasn't that way I'm thankful that he stood up to the religious establishment I'm thankful that he didn't get distracted by what he had come or from what he had come to do and so as we move forward in this study the challenge that we have ourselves are we living a focused life am I living a life clear clearly understanding what God the Father has for me to do let's pray Father, we thank you today for your love for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are a God of order, that, Lord, you planned before the creation of the world that Jesus Christ would come to this earth, live a perfect life, have a public ministry, and have the focus of that public ministry, the climax of it, being that Jesus come into the holy city, be taken outside of the city to die for our sins. Lord, I pray if there be any here today who have not trusted Jesus Christ, who have not said, I want to be saved, I want to identify with Jesus in public baptism, I want to let the world know that I believe in the one who died for me. I pray if there be any have that heart desire that you would stir their hearts today for those who have already trusted you lord the example is before us to set our eyes on you whatever might happen around us to be steadfast to be steady in our walk with you always looking for the opportunities around us seeking to please you in our lives father we love you and lift this prayer in jesus name amen